0: Hey y'all, welcome back to the Brianna Proof Podcast. We have a very special guest today on the show. I'm so excited. We have Vanessa Bennett, a holistic psychotherapist, mindfulness and codependency coach. She has a master's in counseling psychology with an emphasis in depth psychology, which I had to Google because that was really interesting and we will probably touch on that. Um, Vanessa also teaches meditation and yoga. So she is a Yogi Badass. She leads retreats and workshops and also teaches a series of classes. So if you're a lifelong learner, you can learn about things like how codependency affects our relationships. And she also has a podcast of her own called Cheaper Than Therapy Podcast. And we know that times are tough for some people, so I would definitely listen to that. And there's more. Vanessa is also an author a mother, and she's created an online course called Mindfulness, a way to reduce anxiety and deprecii- depression. Vanessa, welcome to the podcast.
1: God, when somebody lists it out like that, I'm like, I'm tired.
0: It is <laughs> horrifying to listen to your own bio. Back to you, but it is truly also a test of like, okay, how can I? I'm so kind to others. How can I be kind to myself and listen to just all my? I'm here. <laughs> Let me just take it in. Yes, I think I originally found you on. I think your husband has a podcast, I believe, and you were maybe a guest on his, and I was doing a deep dive into codependency at the time, and you are like the codependency queen, I have now found out after doing a deep dive on you, so I want to take a step back, I'm sure you've talked about this at nauseam, but I would love to hear your definition of codependency because now everybody is a health and wellness coach and everybody's a therapist and everybody's a codependency coach. And I'm sure that can be frustrating because you did put in the time and went to school and all that. (laughs) So I would love to hear from your professional experience, how you would maybe explain to somebody what codependency is, maybe signs that you have codependency tendencies, or even like, oh, that might be a sign that you're in a codependent relationship.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I think everything you said is true. Like there is a little bit of frustration, I think from a lot of my therapist friends, like those of us who did, you know, do the masters and put in 3,500 hours and do all the things Um, because yeah, I mean, nowadays everybody is some kind of like coach and whatever. And I, I also kind of balance that with, you know we have a lot of hurt people in our world right now and we need as many healers as we can get so i'm also very almost like thankful for social media and the way that it's opened us up to um yeah people who just had different gifts right because obviously we're not we're not for everybody um but you know codependency really has become my jam in the last few years uh it's not new for me i've been on my own recovery journey since i was about 25 Uh, I was myself in a very codependent relationship, started going to therapy, uh, started going to Al-Anon and really just digging in. And then over the last few years um, that I've been in a healthy relationship, started realizing like, oh shit, this is still there. And so I started doing a deeper dive and I'll tell you, there's two things. So I'll give you my definition of codependency and it is really this simple. If you're good, I'm good. If you're not good. I'm not good. So codependent behavior is just that simple. Your emotional state, your sense of self, your sense of wholeness, your sense of value is based on somebody else. It's based outside of yourself, right? And what I will say, and this part I think is kind of a little bit more of like the radical view that I have of codependency that is very different than where we've come with the codependent research that kind of started in like the 70s and the 80s. We are all codependent. Yes. Every one of us, it's the air we breathe. It is how we are raised. It is Cinderella and Prince charming. It is in everything that we see it's in our home relationships when we're growing up. It's what we're taught love should look like. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's in our relationships with our children. It's in our relationships with our friends. Um, and so I don't say that as like a womp womp, you know, doomsday, you're never going to have healthy relationships. I I say that for, first of all, to take the stigma away. You know, we don't look at codependency anymore as the simple, like, quote, wives of alcoholic husbands, which is really where it started. And I mean, you know, thank goodness for that research, because it's obviously it was groundbreaking. Um, but it's it's not that simple anymore. I think we really need to start looking at it in a different way and start realizing that there are unhealthy codependent behavior patterns that every one of us have each is different for everybody. It shows up differently for everybody. And how can we individually start to address what it looks like for you, right? So, how your codependency manifests in order to slowly shift into a more interdependent space in relationships?
0: Oh my God, you must be a mind reader because I want to ask you about this idea between the difference between interdependence and codependence. Because Mm -hmm. to your point, I think everything that we deal with, whether it's mental health, physical health, whatever, there's always a spectrum and a sliding scale. And I think relationships, again, whether it's platonic or romantic are generally mirrors and reflections of things, either we need to still work on or whatever it is. So I think sometimes we pick people or we attract in people, you know, where we are in our spectrum, that maybe makes that level go a little bit higher or can soothe that a little bit. And so I think that's important. But how would you maybe define the difference between interdependence and codependency? And can there kind of be a little bit of like a, a layover with those?
1: So yeah, the way that the way that I look at it is it's it's a little bit like like you said, it's a spectrum, right? So you've got kind of codependency on one side of the spectrum, you have hyper um, hyperindependence on the other side of the spectrum, which by the way, hyperindependence and codependence are really just two sides of the same coin. Mm. And then you have interdependence kind of somewhere in the middle, right? And like everything we talk about in mental health and in therapy, um, our life is a process of swinging from one side of the spectrum to the other and hopefully achieving balance here and there, (laughs) right? It's, It's never gonna be something that you achieve and then just maintain your homeostasis forever because that's just not how humans work. Like we are very black and white creatures. We do tend to live in extremes. Um, but, but really when I, when I look at interdependence and this has really been, I would say just in the last maybe year or two, where I've started going in terms of research, it it really means this, um, there's a, there's a spiritual teacher. He passed away a while ago, but uh, a lot of people know him. If you follow any kind of Buddhist teachings, Alan Watts, who was really big in the seventies. And he really talked a lot about interdependence. And the reason why I bring him up is because the image that he used that I thought was the most helpful for me anyway was the image of the bee and the flower Mm -hmm. so we talked about how the bee and the flower and actually all of nature but he used that as a very specific example live in interdependence right it's an interdependent relationship they are their own sovereign beings with their own ways of living their own ways of showing up in the world and yet they need each other to survive Right. And so when you look at human beings like that, like we are social creatures, we do need other people. We need connection. Right. And yet where we slip into more of that codependency is when we the the kind of line blurs around your autonomy as a person. And it's like, I don't know where I end and where you begin, right? Emotionally, physically, all the things. And so part of the work of shifting into a more of an interdependence relationship um, or just relationships, plural, is starting to pay attention to those lines, right? Like, how can I start to build a stronger sense of self or just a sense of self, period? Because for a lot of codependents, they don't even have one so that I am very clear. This is me. This is you, right? I am worthy. I am valuable. I have, you know, needs that are, that are worthy of being expressed. I have opinions. I have all of these things that are just central to who I am and they are not changed by, affected by, disrupted by another person. Love that.
0: And I love that you touched on that idea too, because I think, and what I've noticed with myself as well, like, again, advice is always a form of nostalgia. I think the things that I've learned in my own research is that there were kind of three main buckets it was like self-worth stuff control or a sense of control right like being manipulative actually low-key yeah and then you know i think also trying to you know prevent collateral damage like down the road and so how much of that do you think this false sense of control comes from like maybe self-worth maybe is it more so like you have low self-esteem, or is it maybe from some other triggers that you seem to see that trickle into these same kinds of p- buckets that ultimately manifest as a quote, codependent kind of personality trait?
1: Yeah. You know, I, in my experience, I don't know that they're very like clear cut, right? Mm-hmm. I feel like there's so much overlap with this stuff. Um, I, when I do like once a month or once every two months, I'll run my codependency 101 class in the group that I run just for kind of anybody who's new, anybody who wants a refresher, and I go through what I like to call my like laundry list of codependent tendencies, right? And, and there's like 25 on there that I touch on. And there are more, but it's only a 15-minute class. Mm-hmm. And basically, I kind of like bang, 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 rapid fire through all of these. Most people are like, holy shit, I didn't even think about that as a codependent tendency or behavior. But the way I also like to describe it is you might not say yes and check the box of all 20 of these, like you might, the way that I looked at it when I was kind of realizing it in myself and my own relationships was like, oh, you know, in my relationship with my mom, I struggle with two, five and nine In my relationship with my romantic partner. It's like 12, 13, 14. And then with my friends or with work, it's like seven and 12. Right. So it can be very different and manifest differently because different people trigger different responses in us. Right there's different levels of intimacy so i'm not going to be the same at work that i am in my intimate relationship because i don't have as much invested there's not as much fear there um, of being you know abandoned or exposed or whatever the fear is so um i do think it shows up differently the control piece is a big one and so i i in the research that i've done and also working with clients the vast majority of people who do develop codependent tendencies and i'm like i'm saying we pretty much all do do have some sort of chaos in their upbringing, right? And chaos is obviously a very broad term and I use it broadly for a reason because everyone's upbringing is different, but it really has to do with, um, it's, a, it's like a byproduct of parenting, meaning there's such a generational way that the generation above us and the generation above them parented, yeah. right? Yeah. Children should be seen and not heard. If if I want your opinion, I'll give it to you. Uh, go, you know, I can't handle you right now. Go over there. And when you've calmed down, you can come out of your room. Right. It was very much this way of being like emotions are not welcome here. Your experience is not valid. As a matter of fact, I will give you your experience I will tell you what your experience should be. And so many of, of, of those kind of parenting quips, if you will, develop codependent behaviors because what am I telling my child? Your inner compass, your sense of what you think you know internally is wrong. Let me tell you what is right. Don't trust yourself. Trust me. Trust an external source, right? And it's very chaotic and it leads to a lack of control, a feeling of control. And so what am I going to do when I grow up? I'm going to try to control in any way i can i'm not going to believe my internal sense of self because clearly it doesn't know what the hell it's talking about right so it's like such a direct a plus b equals c when you look at parenting and i'm fascinated actually to see i know you're kind of like a fellow research nerd i'm fascinated to see what this next generation will turn out like only because i think me as a parent of a two-year-old now our generation has swung so far over into like the helicopter parenting, yes. which has its own downfalls. Yes. So God only knows these poor kids what they're gonna
0: I know, on. and it's so interesting too, because I do see this kind of, parallel correlation with of of course control tendencies and then perfectionism and to your point 100%. people only like to think of it I think in such very specific themes like well to your like this only is triggered by my dad or my mom yes. or a boyfriend and I think it's easier sometimes to put a label on trauma chaos and like mm-hmm. what you just mm-hmm. said so I do also I don't have kids yet but I worry I was just joking with my cousins about this like I worry about now like our parents did the best that they could with the tools that they had like mm-hmm. you know I grew up in an Italian like household, you didn't talk about your feelings. They weren't bad parents, you know what I mean. But that obviously, what they
1: happened. knew. Right.
0: It's just what it's just what we did, and so yeah. I think that's so interesting to see as well because it is now such the quote woke generation. Everyone's getting canceled. It's like okay, but again, healing is never found in extremities, and also research advancements is never found in extremities. So I can imagine how frustrating that is for you on the client side of things, but also again now having to navigate this other sub profession of like TikTok and Instagram and only people only want 10 seconds of healing. And you're like, right, but this is like 30 years of compounded stuff you have going on. So like, you're not going to get it from a quote trauma coach in 10 seconds, you know, and totally. that's I'm sure frustrating for you.
1: Yeah. I mean, the, the, the level of unpacking that we're trying to do in this like way that we've now become as a society, it's very like, ADD, um, you know, instant gratification, kind of like Amazon society that we all are now. And it's like, you're trying to apply that to healing. And and, I mean, as you know, that doesn't work. Like, yeah, you can start to conceptually understand this stuff through these Instagram videos. Now take those, those conceptual understandings and now start the healing work because they're different, right? Absolutely.
0: It's like, now, what are you going to do? Great. We put a label on it, which is amazing for a lot of the analytical people. Like it makes, I think our brains feel safer. We feel like we belong to a tribe, but now what are we going to do about that? You know, I would love to hear since we touched on this a little bit, because I think no one talks about this enough. If you have had a string of let's say unhealthy relationships, codependent, chaotic energy, whatever it is, no one talks about the healthy relationship. After those relationships, right? And I think it's a really difficult transition for a lot of people. And so, how can somebody even begin to learn to develop a new or acquire a new liking to that kind of healthy relationship when they might say like, well, there's just not this or they're comparing it. Or again, like how does somebody even (laughs) begin to do those steps if you're like, this is all I know and this is familiar and comfortable, but we know that doesn't always equal healthy.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, our, our nervous systems, to a certain extent become addicted to the chaos right they become addicted to what what our nervous system believes is love and for many of us who did grow up in a chaotic household and by the way the reason why i use chaos again i use it as a broad term for a reason like chaos in your home could have just meant that like mom and dad didn't really have a lot of tools and so there was a lot of screaming and slamming doors and so that produces some sort of chemical reaction in your brain and in your nervous system right as a child of like not feeling safe or like wanting it to calm down or wanting to fix it and so then that internal feeling that you get is something that you become addicted to and start to translate as this is what love feels like, right? And so it could be something that's simple. It doesn't have to be massive trauma and abuse, right? I think that's important for people to understand. Uh, Or it could be cold shoulder, right? Like nobody talks about it. People get pissed off and then everyone stops talking for 24 hours and then we come back together and pretend like everything is fine. That becomes a pattern and then a feeling internally that we become addicted to. And so you take that out. You search for that in your external relationships. Again, mostly friend and romantic relationships, right? And then you can't understand why they're not healthy, right? And the same pattern keeps happening over and over again. So now let's hope that you are somebody who goes on this inner journey. You start to take radical responsibility for your 100%, right? Because hate to break it to you, but when you got a string of relationships, that all look the same. You're the common denominator there, right? Like, yes not the victim blame, but like you got to start taking radical responsibility. It is the only way to heal those, those kind of traumatic wounds. Right. So once you start doing that and you find yourself in healthier relationships for a lot of people, there is a point where you feel bored. You don't feel stimulated. You know, you think, Oh, like there's just no chemistry. There's not a match here. And it is a different experience for everyone. There's no one size fits all, but for so many of my clients, a lot of the work is you gotta sit in that feeling long enough to see if it truly is just your nervous system's response to calm, mm-hmm. which it's not familiar with, or if it truly is like, yes, this person is not a match for me. I can't tell you that, right? Like you're you're the only one that can tell yourself that, but you do have to give it long enough to find out if that's true. And I will say with my partner and I, it took both of us almost a year before we figured it out because for that whole first year, in our own way, we were both questioning. I don't know. This doesn't feel like this. This doesn't feel like that. You know, this is missing. That's missing. She's great. He's great. But right. And here we are, you know, four and a half years and a baby in, and it's, it 100% is exactly the relationship that I'm supposed to be in. But had I not got past that first year of the doubt, I, I wouldn't be where I am.
0: I think that's so amazing that you shared that because I think sometimes there's this added perceived pressure of whatever you're a quote expert in whether it's mm-hmm. you know mental health working out, whatever, like people expect that you're going to be perfect as well. Right. It's like the idea of being a personal trainer and like you you have to look a certain way or you think you have to look a certain way. Right. Mm-hmm. So like to have two therapists essentially be together to be like, oh no, it was amazing. And we knew or, we're going to parent our kids perfectly. And it's like, you know, we're still human as well. But I love that you brought up this idea because I know you wrote an article about needs versus wants in a relationship. And I do think that some people will have this defense mechanism where they think they they're saying they need something and then they'll say, but XYZ, I wanted this, but they're one in shorter, or I didn't like the way their shoelaces looked or mm-hmm. right. We start to make these crazy little things as a defense mechanism because it feels like, well, this is safe and I don't like this. Right. So. How does somebody begin to differentiate what a need is versus a want versus, ooh, this is a defense mechanism and maybe just an old tick that I need to kind of push through?
1: Yeah. You know, it's funny that you bring this up because I was just having this conversation with both my partner last night on our drive home from the beach with our little one. And then also my best girlfriend, who's also my podcast um, co-host last week, because I the way that I'm starting to see needs is really starting to shift as well as I'm diving more into this world of interdependence. And what does that look like? And so I'm like in it, I'm like kind of steeped in this conversation, the way that I understand it right now. And that could change. Right. But the way that I look at it right now in my own relationship, as well as with my clients is especially for a lot of us who come from more codependent backgrounds, because for many of us, we start out the gate not actually knowing what our needs are um, because we're so externally focused. Right. Um, Most of us think that we know our intuition, but we actually don't. A lot of times what we think is our intuition is actually external voices that we've kind of internalized. And so for so so much of the work in the beginning is actually creating a relationship to that sense of self, right? It's like learning to kind of turn up the, the audio dial, if you will, the volume on that intuition. And so with needs in particular, I have found personally In the beginning, especially, I was able to figure out what my need is only by backing into it. Mm. So I was only able to figure out what a need was when it wasn't met. Now that work requires a lot of self-awareness and a lot of mindfulness because you have to really be able to tune into number one, the feeling of resentment, because here's what I will say as codependents, we might have a hard time with a lot of emotions, naming emotions, getting overwhelmed by emotions. The one emotion I know for almost a fact that every one of us is really good at knowing what it feels like is resentment. We might as well just walk around with it, like labeled on our foreheads. So getting really, really in touch with resentment, I would say to, in order to establish like, what are my needs is actually kind of that first step. So why am I feeling resentment? And it doesn't have to be massive. It can be like the teeniest little whiff of resentment. It is an indication that you need to slow down, take a breath, go inward question what's happening what am i not getting what am you know what's happening in this dynamic that i wish were different you know whatever it might be and then from that point of awareness you can probably then have a conversation where even if it's not articulated perfectly here's my need it could be something like you know when the other you know the other day when you left to go to the gym Uh, And I had the baby, I felt like this weird resentment. And at the time, I didn't really notice it. So I just let you go and I tried to push it down, but I've been sitting with it and I'm thinking about it. And what I'm starting to realize is I'm not getting my physical needs met. Like, I need to start prioritizing myself, but I need your help in that. Like, I need you to take care of the baby for an hour, you know, every other day so I can go to the gym. I have a hard time asking for that. So I'm asking you to help me with that right? So that's just like one example, especially a common example that I see a lot in like at least couples with young children. Um, But you'll notice in that example how it was like, okay, I'm feeling some sort of way. Let me just talk it out in an exploratory, curious way so that I can get to the need, even if I don't actually know clearly what that need is. And then sometimes by doing that over and over and over again, you'll get better at being like, oh no, this is clearly a need. Let me just put it out there, be super clear, about it, you know, um, but that doesn't happen overnight. That takes a lot of freaking practice.
0: Yeah. And it's so funny that you said that because it goes back to some of the things we were talking about in the original conversation of that. There are kind of these, always these like underlying little, like, I would call them pebbles of like self-worth boundaries, people pleasing, right? Like control. So it's like, oh, but if I actually say my need, this might make somebody feel uncomfortable or they're gonna abandon me or, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? So it's like, you have to really always be kind of going back in and out of like, right, this is what is the best, most loving thing for myself right now. And I have to worry about me. And almost asking for help at the same time, which shows like we think a perceived weakness. And it's not because I think that that actually is more vulnerable. And I think where you actually end up having a a true deep connection with somebody and a partnership as opposed to just maybe a relationship that's fleeting or just another Band-Aid codependent kind of cycle Mm -hmm. that we've gotten ourselves into. Well,
1: here's what I will say, but I'm glad you said that because like one of the things you said about, I need to put myself first. One of the challenges that I constantly pose to people are working through codependent tendencies is you think you're protecting, you think you're helping, you think you're not rocking the boat, you're not, Mm -hmm. you're hurting, you're not helping, Mm -hmm. you're not showing up authentically, right? You're holding on to resentment. And I've actually said numerous times in my classes, like if I'm on the receiving end of that, even if it's, let's just say it's warranted, like let's say I show up and I'm a total jerk to you and I'm on the, I'm on the warranted end of like some pissed off feelings and resentment. If you're walking around holding on to that without expressing it to me, if I were that person, I'd be like, I don't want that shit. Like, don't yeah. give that to me. Yeah. That's not a loving relationship where you carry and hold over somebody's head anger and resentment. Right. Like a loving relationship is one in which I can show up and say, Hey, this really hurt my feelings. I need to give this feedback to you. Right. So that I can clear that air and walk away with that lightness, with that deeper connection, with that more solid sense of self, right. And connection to self. And so I think it's really important for a lot of us to understand most of the time when you think you're helping by not saying the thing and not being the authentic person, you're not. You're actually hurting.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. And actually, this is going to be one of my rapid fire questions I had to you, but I would love to hear your opinion on this now, because I think so many people again talk about this idea of our love languages, but Mm -hmm. also our communication styles, which goes back to childhood stuff. We didn't always have a say over that. And the way that we fight because we can fight Mm -hmm. in healthy, productive manners. Which of those do you think actually is not more important, but maybe holds more value as you start to dig deeper in your own healing of attracting better partners?
1: Ooh, I don't know if I would put priority on one. I would say it's like, it's like a it's like a chemistry project of a little bit of all of it, you know. Um, the book that my partner and I wrote that's coming out actually pre pre-order starts in May. We touch on almost all of those as like an individual chapter, right? So in our journey, um, well, I mean our continual journey, but our journey to becoming a couple, it's like we've had to really look at each of these categories and figure out where the overlap is, you know. And It does sound like a lot of work and it is, but unfortunately that is just the par for like, if you really, truly want to have a more conscious connected relationship, you do have to do some of this heavy lifting and it doesn't go away. Right. Is knowing my partner's love languages, knowing his communication style, knowing how he fights, knowing his backstory, knowing his history, knowing his traumas, knowing what he brings to the table, because all of that knowledge helps me not look at him as the enemy It helps me understand that this is not personal has nothing to do with me, actually. It's just him and his story. Right. And so if I'm able to not personalize that I can come to the table again, pulling from curiosity, trying to understand before being understood. Right. And so, um, I guess it's a long winded way to not answer your question, which is like, I don't know that you can kind of put emphasis on any one of them, or if it's just kind of like an amalgamation of all of them. And I will say that sometimes one takes priority, like sometimes in this moment, this feeling of disconnection that we're having, we can probably specifically rate it related to love languages. Like I have not given him enough words of affirmation in the last however many weeks, he's starting to feel the effects of that. I need to really pay attention. And in doing that, he will feel better. And so it might be as simple as saying, oh, it's this category. But I think for, at least for us, a lot of times it's like a little bit of this and a little bit of that and sprinkle of this.
0: Yeah, but that goes back to what you were saying, how we live in this like Amazon Prime culture where people want it in two seconds. And again, I don't know why people think that every relationship is supposed to be rainbows and butterflies like i don't think that's a good sign when people are like we never fight i'm like so that means you don't know how to have tough conversations or speak up or whatever it is and i think that kind of goes back to compatibility of that Mm -hmm. question of maybe where we're like Okay, maybe there weren't butterflies and sparks and whatever. And that's not always a great healthy sign. I think if a a lot of people learn as they get older and you learn to date differently. Mm -hmm. But I think a lot of that does go back into compatibility of so love language, fight language. I think there's intellectual compatibility. Are there other buckets of compatibility that you see as you've gotten older and are in a more, you know, I think a healthier relationship that you value more? being older with, you know, having a a child together now that maybe you didn't value as much younger in relationships or when you were working through some of your, you know, your own stuff?
1: Yeah. I mean, I would say that, one of the things I've realized is that this idea of having compatible, whether again, whether it be love languages, um, you know, fighting styles, all that, I actually, I wonder sometimes I'm starting to question if it truly is compatibility or if it's just, again, an understanding of self and ability to take radical responsibility and a, and an ability. And all of these things are a constant daily practice, by the way, um, to not personalize. Right. And so I actually believe that none of those things have to actually match up in any way. My partner and I are probably opposite sides of the spectrum on everything you could possibly imagine. Um, And I know that there is some kind of unconscious attraction in that for many of us, but it can be maddening and infuriating too, clearly. But because we're constantly practicing those three things that I was just mentioning, uh, it doesn't necessarily feel like we have to be compatible in those areas as long as we're constantly coming back to being open and curious about understanding where the other person is coming from and not personalizing. Now, having said that, what I do realize I do take much more um, seriously, I suppose, now than I did when I was younger, is a shared sense of creating something larger than myself. And I've always been somebody who dated um, very creative people, people who were super passionate and had a lot of drive, you know, like a professional musician, like all of the things that were kind of external and putting amazing things out there. And I know now, that that is something I'm very attracted to. Clearly, I can clearly see that pattern in my (laughs) my life. Um, But I think what's what's different now about my relationship with my partner, John, is that it's this idea that like this, it's, it's like something larger than than yourself. But it's like it's like creating something that leaves a legacy, creating something that you're both super passionate about. There's like a shared language of passion that we both have. That I don't know that I've ever found before and and I now realize that for me that's the glue like and that's my personal story right like I'm an extrovert I love to talk I love to connect and so for him and I all the other things can be mismatched in a moment right and yet if we can have a super deep passionate conversation that one hour conversation will connect us back. In my my opinion, will connect us back and keep me going. And so I think it's really important for everybody to figure out what that is because so many of us are like, oh, let's look at this checklist. Like, yeah. you know, they have to make six figures. They have to have, you know, they have to have this. So they have to be six feet tall. They have to do this, a checklist, checklist, and it's all bullshit. None of that matters at the end of the day.
0: Yeah. And that goes back to the wants that would like would be nice wants versus, versus yeah, like gotta yeah. have this kind of thing. And that was actually gonna be one of my questions I had for you too, because so maybe somebody's listening to this and that this resonates with them of like, okay, yeah, I'm working on sitting with my this feels healthy, so I gotta just be with that for a bit. You said it took you almost a year. So mm-hmm. was there kind of a like a conversation that I had or a light bulb moment, or what would maybe be a sign that somebody could be like, Okay, I've given this enough time, you know, I've thrown enough time at this. Like, how do I know if it's time for me to still lean into that and give it more time or for me to walk away because maybe it really just isn't an alignment for me or it isn't a match. Like what are maybe some things that people would want to pay attention to or like what was, you know, for you maybe that was like, yeah, no, this is, this is good this year in, like this was the day and I knew it clicked for me.
1: I don't think it was a clicking. Honestly, I I think that's hard to say because again, it's like so different for everybody. I think for me, the way that I'm wired is I'm very much one of those people, like if I, if I say like, I'm going to do this thing, I'm going to do this thing. Like, that's just how I've always been. Right. And so when I met my partner, um, I was pretty clear that I was in, I was pretty clear that I, I knew he was meant to be in my life. I knew that, um, I had kind of, I, I always like to say, I like manifested him for a reason. And I didn't know that that was going to be a forever or whatever it was. It could have been a very brief moment, but I knew he was meant to be there. I was meant to learn something from this relationship. So I leaned into that a lot of my practice in relationships is is very mindfulness based and so it's very much like am i enjoying this in the moment is this person making me feel happy right now yes like am i laughing and enjoying myself yes am i feeling challenged in a good way yes does this feel uncomfortable in a way that feels like it's helping me grow yes like and i i'm constantly questioning that right especially in the beginning of any relationship even friends or work even And so him and I struggled more because he was actually the one that was constantly spinning and looking for a quote unquote sign and for something to click. And I was doing the very, like, I don't know what your problem is. Like for me in this moment, it feels good. And that's enough for me right now. Right. Um, Which I feel like is actually, if we're talking like heteronormative, I feel like most of the women are doing what he's doing when they come to me. Right. And most of the men are doing what I'm doing, especially women when you're like mid thirties and there's that kind of biological clock. I was like, listen. I'm good right now. That's enough. Our moment was him. He was constantly, and there was like a bunch of cycles of him being ambivalent and like push pull and like I'm in it. And then I'm not sure. And I got to a place where about 10 or 11 months in, I basically was like, shit or get off the pot. Like you're either invested in this or not. I'm not telling you I want to marry you. I'm not telling you I want to be in this forever. I'm telling you I want to be in this right now. You either say i want to be in this right now or you don't and if you don't bye bye like there's the door i know my value enough to know i'm not begging somebody to want to hang out with me i'm awesome and i'm great to hang out with so like you either want to hang out with me or you don't that's fine you know um and i think it was in that moment where i like really pushed him and walked away and i gave him i was like i don't want to talk to you i don't want to see you you know, and, um, he had a moment of like, Oh my God, like this is serious. She's really done. Yeah. And, uh, and I think that was enough for him to be like, okay, I'm really, I'm really, I'm in it. Okay.
0: <laughs> that's such a fun. That's such a great mind shift. Cause that's kind of been my mantra for this year. I'm like, I know I'm amazing. I don't care if they yeah. like me, obviously they're going to like me. I'm like, do I like me? And can I be my most authentic self? Do they bring out the best? Do I
1: like me when I'm with them? Yes. That's a huge question. Actually you saying that, that's something that a listener could take away. Totally. That could be a question you ask yourself. Yeah. Do I like the me I am when I'm with this person?
0: Yeah. And that's tough because for so long, if you have struggled with whether that's self-worth or again, mm-hmm. all the same themes, it all goes back to, am I relying on an external validation person yes. scenario job whatever image, which I think more people struggle with that now because of the fake social media world that we live in mm-hmm. and all that, where it's like, no, but this actually ultimately comes down to me. You can ask all your friends and read all the books and all the podcasts, but at the end of the day, to thy own self, be true. You know, you have to be able to say like, and sit with that thought and be like, do I feel like my best, most authentic self? And if not, do I trust that something better will come along because I am amazing? And you know, that- Well, I would say
1: in funny. between those two questions, you might ask why. Why? Why do I not feel like I'm being my most authentic self? Like, yes. because here's the thing, it might not be about the other person.
0: Yes, that it might still be, is.
1: That might still be your shit. Yeah. And so in which case I would say that that question that you just answered, if you're answering no, I still don't think the answer is, well, clearly we're not meant to be together then and I need to bail. I think there's another layer there, which is like, why is it that I'm not being my most authentic and best self right now? Because that might be all about you. And if you really dig in and do some work around that, then this person might actually still be great for you, but you're, you're functioning out of fear. You're functioning out of old wounding. You're functioning out of your abandonment stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. And so they might be a really amazing mirror for you to go deeper if you give it that opportunity.
0: Yeah. And so many people, I think, because we live in this instant gratification of, well, there's one thing I didn't like, so I'll just get back out there. Or again, this perceived perfection or whatever it is. And it, anything in life takes work. Like, I don't know why that got canceled over the past few years that like nothing amazing takes work anymore. But I think you value more what you actually worked for on both people. And to your Mm -hmm. point as well, like you want to build something with somebody that like, you're going to have a lot of conversations with. That partner is going to color every area of your life, your finances, your decisions about maybe your children, your education. So like, you better make sure that both of you can answer those questions. And to your point, keep asking the why, even if it's uncomfortable for a little bit, or you have to be like, you know what? I was toxic in that situation and that's on me and I got to work on my shit.
1: Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And here's the thing too. We all change. Like, that's another thing that I'm, I'm realizing working with couples over the years that they, that nobody wants to really admit, which is like, you're not the same person now than you were most likely when you met that partner. First of all, thank God right yes. i hope that i'm never the same person three four five years on the road because i am on this like journey to continue to grow and evolve stop expecting that other person to stay the same mm-hmm. stop expecting that other person once they've quote unquote checked the box or fulfilled the need that they're going to do that forever and ever amen until the day we die right? Yeah. Like that's just not how we are as human beings. And we get ourselves into these very like suffocating, um, non-malleable, honestly boring and unfulfilling places when we only not expect them not to change, but we also don't give ourselves like room to change and grow either. Um, that to me is the exciting part. Also scary part of relationships is that we evolve, um, give it space, give it breathe, breathing room to do so, you know? Yeah.
0: I love that. Let it open up. You know, like you let a good wine open up. You got to sometimes just like let it breathe, walk away, come back. Like it'll, you know, it'll all be okay. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, I could talk to you for hours, but I know that you juggle a lot and you're a busy (laughs) badass woman. So I want to finish with some rapid fire kind of type questions. And then you can tell everybody about your upcoming book, where they can listen to you, find you, um, buy your programs, all of that. Okay. Let's do it. So um, what is a morning routine and a nighttime routine like non-negotiable for you that could be like a health thing it could be a mantra it could be whatever
1: that has changed a lot since i had a a kid two years ago i used to have a very very strict morning routine and regimen um but i will say what my non-negotiable is my non-negotiable in the morning is i wake up before anybody else and that doesn't have to be hours i'm not like you know i'm actually not a morning person at all um my kid gets up every day at six o'clock which like shoot me because that is like my worst nightmare. I'm not a morning person, but, um, I very much train myself to get up at five 30, even if it's just that 20, 30 minutes, because I want the house quiet. I want time to myself. I want to have a cup of coffee. I want to practice some mindfulness. Um, I sit in the quiet by myself and that's just how I start my day and, and set my nervous system up for the day. And then, yeah. And then nighttime, again, I think this has changed a lot in my 30s. I am very, very like committed to my skincare routine. <laughs> It's a I lifestyle. feel like it really is. Partly, I feel like it's vanity, but also partly at this point, we're doing it for so many years. I again, I think it's actually almost like a mindfulness practice where it's like I have the there's a there's a ritual to it, right? It's like I have the process, I have the routine, there's the steps, and there's the time alone at night in the bathroom, you know, um, undisturbed. And I, I think it might be maybe I mean, as that's the first one I've ever thought about it in that way where I'm like, Oh, that's my bookend actually to my day.
0: I'm <laughs> so sick of, of people feeling like they have to say sorry for things that are not like, you know, quote, guilty pleasures. Did you yeah. kill anybody? Cause you want to yeah. put serum on your face? Like, no, we're trying to age <laughs> like a porcelain doll over here. Pale exactly. Like yeah. No back. shame. <laughs> the sun will, this face will never see the sun again is what I always say. This, f-
1: like, this face hasn't seen the sun since I was probably like 22. Like I have the, the biggest, most giant hats of all time
0: same i'm like i will age like a porcelain doll and i know people don't find that sexy but i don't care i'm gonna look amazing same girl so, same, drill, same. <laughs> um okay what do you think is one of the best pieces of underrated marriage or relationship advice that you would maybe give to your younger self or give that you've heard over the years an underrated piece of advice
1: Ooh, underrated um god building a sense of self in relationship i think the most important thing constantly in relationship to other people is working on yourself mm. and so whether that's again romantic relationship friend kid relationship with your kids um working on yourself challenging yourself filling up yourself um you know it's that cheesy like you can't pour from an empty cup thing, but it almost goes deeper than that it's like it, it goes back to Who are you as an autonomous being? Like, what makes you passionate? What gives you life outside of your relationships? Because if you can't find life and joy and passion and spark outside of your relationships, holy shit, is that a lot of pressure then to put on your relationships, right? And guess what? Relationships don't do well under that amount of pressure.
0: Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's a good Mm one. Okay. What um what is a trend or a topic maybe that you're seeing or a buzzword in the mental health therapy word world right now that you're hearing a lot about or seeing a lot about that you're just like eye rolling because all of them. people are getting I know nearly <laughs> everything
1: all of how much, how much time do we have a lot. Uh, codependency toxic narcissism mm. um you know it's it's there's so many of them um I think again going back to what we opened with which is like. You know, having the training, having the master's degree, having the hours, you know, learning and studying the diagnostic manuals, um, the number of times people oh, gaslighting that's another one oh, yeah. that we that gets thrown around a lot. Um, using clinical terms outside of what they actually mean or without an understanding of what they mean, right? So narcissism, if I have to speak about one, probably drives me the most nuts, only because first and foremost, we're all a little bit narcissistic. Mm-hmm. Again, very human trait. Um, but also like you can have narcissistic traits and that doesn't mean that you're a narcissist, right? And the other thing is, is that I love, love to tell codependents because so many codependents are like, oh, I'm always in relationship with narcissists. Why am I always attracting narcissists? That's because codependency and narcissism are two sides of the same coin, my friend. Yeah. Yeah. Hate to break it to you. A lot of codependent behavior is wildly narcissistic because here's the thing, both of them, as a personality structure are other oriented. They both find their sense of self outside of themselves. So we need to look in the mirror a little bit more and stop pointing fingers because a lot of times when we do, you just point it right back at yourself.
0: What are we gonna do about that Uh instead of blaming it? Love Uh that. Okay, Um, I know that, I think this was on your signature of your email. You said everything that you need to know you've learned through your journey, which Mm. great quote, right? So I think sometimes we are going through something in life that during the time, right? Hindsight is 2020, and it has a ripple effect on our life later in a positive way. So what Ooh. in the journey that you've gone through, is there something, one of the toughest things or lessons that you've gone through maybe that actually had the most profound positive ripple effect later in your life that you're like now, like, wow, really happy went through that at the time, not, was not for me.
1: I mean, all of it, I don't know, like all of the quote unquote negative, um, experiences, you know, not to kind of like divert the question, but I, I really do believe, and this probably goes, this probably comes from my, my background in depth psychology, which is, I really do believe that, um, you know, this idea of healing, this idea of our, our, our path of individuation really does come out of meaning making. We are, we are creatures that like to make meaning as human animals. And this idea of like, oh, I'm healed or I've like, I've recovered from something. Um, I think so much of that actually looks like I'm able to pull meaning from and make meaning of something that happened in my life. Right. And I think unfortunately as a culture, because we know at an unconscious level that we need to make meaning, we try to force ourselves into a place of meaning before we're ready. And that is not the same thing. Um, There is a feeling of peace and understanding that comes when you truly do get to a place of like, ah, I understand this in the larger context of my life, of my place in the universe, right? What have you. Um, And so I think so much of the things that have happened in my life, I have through a lot of work and a lot of time come to on its own, that place of meaning. Um, And I would say like two of my hardest relationships slash most fulfilling relationships slash biggest heartbreaks at the time when I was in it, you know, I wanted to just like rip my heart out and and never be in a relationship again. And now I find so much joy when I reflect on them, even the ones that like ended really shitty and, and we don't really still have a connection. Um, I don't regret it for a moment. Um, it was such an important part of my life and my journey and who I am. Um, but I didn't get to that piece without a lot of work to get there.
0: Yeah. It takes work. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Everybody wants the apple pie. No one wants to slice the apples. So you got to do it sometimes. You (laughs) got (laughs) to do it. Okay. Last question. And then you can tell everybody all the ways that they can work with you and find you. So um, I know a lot of people, myself included, I love a good like mantra or I have post-it notes places or I call it the bumper sticker version of life. But what's maybe um, a mantra or a piece of advice that you want to leave people with or something that you would love to say to your younger self that really like we all get stuck in life. It's when we need to get unstuck that maybe, um, you would write on a post-it note. Mm.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, this might sound boring for some people, but it's probably very steeped in my meditation practice over the last 20 years. Um, I really continually come back to just the, I am here. Um, you know, if I knew at, I don't know, 15, what I knew at you know, 25 um, or 28 when I first started started diving into that world, my life would have been very, very different. Um, and I think for me the practice moment by moment, day to day, of finding joy in the I am here. Um has transformed my life in so many ways right so i am the person who walks outside and it, because i've made it a practice for so long it does come easier to me now um and i say that because it is a muscle that people have to build yes. i can be having the shittiest day ever and be stressed out and feeling all the chaos and i walk outside and i can smell the jasmine in the air like in june and it stops me in my tracks For at least a moment where I can just close my eyes and take a breath and be like, I love that smell. Like it just brings me joy. Right. As just one example, it's like, I'm, I'm really good at being like everything pause. I am here. I find joy. Okay, now you can go back into your chaotic day, but like I at least that. for that moment, you know, I love that
0: I think that's what we do need sometimes is a snap like a snap out of it moment where it is just one sentence where we want to be philosophers all day long and analytical yeah. and overthink. And it's like sometimes you just need. That's why like I love I think sometimes like my brother will give the best advice because I'll go down all these rabbit holes and he will just say like. Bree, do it till it doesn't work anymore. Then you do something else. And I'm like, wow, I've been doing a <laughs> dissertation on this for 25 hours and you just summed it up in a sentence. So I love, I love that for sure. I gotta
1: get own way sometimes. <laughs> I know,
0: seriously. Um, so how can people, and this will be in the show notes just so everybody knows, but how can people find you, um, retreats, the book, maybe tell a little bit about all the plugs that you want to plug, please let us know.
1: Oh boy. Um, okay. So like i said i have a book coming out it's called it's not me it's you um and it pre-sale goes on and starts in may so you'll find that in all the places all the things it's through harper collins and then um kind of launching out the gate in May, there's a lot happening. So um, I have a, a brand new site coming out because of a bunch of new offerings. So I'm going to have a massive online codependency course, which is really just pulled from all of my my live teachings that I've been doing all through COVID. Um, and realizing that, you know, people in like Australia, for example, can attend a live class. And so how can I make it accessible? So look out for that. It's going to be a doozy, but it is a very, very extensive course. Um, you mentioned it earlier, but I do have a mindfulness course. There's going to be a transition with that too, because I'm kind of re-recording, but I have an amazing mindfulness course that's pulled from mindfulness-based cognitive therapy around decreasing anxiety and depressive symptoms. Um, I, geez, I don't know. I'm on Instagram at Vanessa S. Bennett. I'm on TikTok at the Coda Yoda. I I don't know all love the things it. and your
0: <laughs> podcast where can people find yeah, that
1: podcast is cheaper than therapy um, <laughs> and you can listen to it at all the places so apple podcast spotify podcast all those things
0: love it thank yeah. you I am so grateful for your time today you are amazing I can't wait to buy your book I know it's going to be amazing so I'm going to sign up for the pre-sign up all the alerts
1: and um... there's got to be a lot of little fun gift giveaways and gifting too that we're doing we're working with marketing now to come up with all these kind of fun strategies for people if you if you do pre-order so definitely pay attention mentioned in May, uh, when it launches, if you're not following me, sign up for my email, all the things, because, um, there's going to be some really fun incentives. All the
0: overachievers that are my followers will for sure signing up for the (laughs) pre-launch because everybody let listen as an overachiever type A, whatever. So
1: welcome my tribe.
0: (laughs) Yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like attracts like, so exactly.
1: Thank (laughs) Thank you, Bron. I appreciate
0: it. Have a great day. Ciao.